It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Okay, let's try this again. Sorry that there was no episode on Monday. There was some crazy technical issues going on with the website with which we post the podcast, but we are going to move everything back a day. So there will be an episode on Saturday this week. That's going to technically be the Friday episode. So anyway, this is the first episode of the week for Locked On Reds. Thank you all for bearing with me and enjoy the show. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. The show goes on! What's up, Reds fans? Welcome into the Locked On Reds podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. It is Tuesday. We're going to start off the week with some Reds talk. I've got some thoughts on some rumors. We're going to catch you up on what's going on here in the rumor mill. We've also got part two of Today in Reds Awesomeness with Cam Miller later on in the show and some headlines as well. Before we get to all of that, though, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast on all the many podcasting platforms, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever it is that you use, make sure you are subscribed. That way you get each and every episode downloaded to your queue each and every day. Also, follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Carr with three Fs, and at Locked On Reds. Follow the Locked On Reds Instagram as well, and save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159. Let's do some news. The Reds wrapped up the winter caravan over the weekend with basically just adding to some of the hot stove, uh, maybe rekindling it, depending on how you look at it. We're going to jump into all of those rumors on the focus section, though really the only headline of note, the Reds signed left-handed reliever Jesse Biddle to a minor league contract with an invitation to spring training. Biddle has two years of major league experience under his belt. 2018 looked pretty nice. He was an Atlanta Brave, and in 60 appearances, he had 63 and two-thirds innings pitched with a 3.1 ERA. Pretty solid. 2019, not so solid. His first 15 appearances with the Braves did not go as planned as he pitched to a 5.4 ERA in 11 and two-thirds innings. Atlanta then cut him. He was then picked up by Seattle, pitched worse, and then he was cut again, and then he was picked up by the Rangers and pitched even worse. So he is a reclamation project, a left-handed relief option for the Reds to evaluate during spring training to see what they have. It looks as if, you know, if you if you dive into the statistics, he was used mostly as a specialist last season. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how the Reds plan to employ him as the season goes on with the three batter minimum going into effect 
in 2020. But another ad, another minor league uh, deal with an invite to spring training, that adds to the list of relievers uh, that uh, have that distinction. He joins Nate Jones, David Carpenter, and Tyler Thornburg on the list of non-roster invitees. It'll be interesting to see if he can overcome. He's been having some shoulder issues over the first uh, early part of his career, really. He was a first-round draft pick by the Phillies in the 2010 draft, and as it stands right now, he will be 28 years old this season. So, and another interesting signing. I swear to God, I'm smart. Which leads us to our focus point of the day. And really, it's kind of just focusing on the rumors that have been swirling about the Reds here lately. Because, as we know, the Lindor rumors have cooled off. And, in fact, cooled off so much to the point that now the only rumors that we're seeing is that the Indians never intended to trade him. Uh, according to Terry Francona, Francisco Lindor is not uh, even available to be traded. And that he is a key centerpiece of their team that they hope to be successful with in 2020. Doesn't really surprise me a ton. I mean, that's all we've heard from folks close to the Indians, but it seemed as if national reporters and folks like that were uh, talking about rumors of the Indians were looking to trade him to the Dodgers, and then they were looking to maybe trade him to the Reds, and then maybe the Dodgers, and just who knows what all. It's been a very interesting cycle of rumors with Francisco Lindor. It'll be interesting to see if they pick back up closer to the trade deadline because the Indians are in a precarious position with their star shortstop in that they've made no secret of the fact that they don't believe they can sign him once his contract ends. However, they are also not actively looking to get anything for him. This sounds a little familiar, as if the Indians are headed for a half-assed rebuild, kind of like what the Reds found themselves in back in 2015. I don't know. That's just a random thought there. The big rumor of the weekend was the Reds' involvement and interest in former Red Sox star utility man. And I say star because he seems to be a fan favorite. If you get on the wonderful Twitter.com, there are many Red Sox fans that are unhappy with these rumors. But the rumors are swirling that the Reds are interested in Brock Holt, which would be intriguing. His statistics are decent if you look at the numbers. It's hard to tell because he's had sporadic playing time. It's not as if we're talking about a guy who has played every day for the last couple of years. In fact, just a glance at his baseball reference page will tell you that since he was an all-star in 2015, the most the, the most uh, number of plate appearances that he's logged in a season came in 2018, when he came to the plate 367 times. Now, he's gotten a lot of appearances, but that's because he is a super utility guy. And by super utility, just the number of positions that Baseball Reference listed him appearing at last season are as follows. Second base, first base, right field, left field, shortstop, and third base. Also, he played some at designated hitter, but that's not really relevant to the National League team. However, he's played everywhere else, except catcher and pitcher in center field but the profile on him he's not a power hitter he's not a guy that's going to hit the ball out of the yard quite a bit the most amount of home runs he's had in a season is seven 
And that was coincidentally the last time he eclipsed 350 plate appearances, i.e. 2018. His slugging percentage for his career is not super impressive. What is nice, though, is his ability to get on base. He has a decent walk rate, and while he does have a decent command of the strike zone, he still tends to strike out a bit. So we're really not talking about an everyday guy. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about a bench player. We're talking about a very good bench player, but another bench player. And last I checked, I feel like the Reds have a lot of those. So that leads me to believe that the only reason the Reds would be interested in him is if they're ready to make a trade. A guy that they can go get once the trade is Levy. Now, I'm not exactly sure who'd be involved in this trade. I mean, there, there's a chance because the Reds are still passively linked to Corey Seager, the current Dodgers shortstop, and the Dodgers have a top prospect with which they can replace Seager should they trade him to the Reds and also revamp their team in other areas with the trade with the Reds. But again, that I mean, would that mean that Josh Van Meer would be involved in this trade? Because essentially... As Red Leg Nation points out, we're talking about, if the Reds are talking about Brock Holt, we're talking about Josh Van Meter with less power. I mean, maybe Brock Holt's a little bit better. He does have an all-star nod on his resume, as I mentioned, but he's 31 years old. Josh Van Meter's got a little bit more of his career ahead of him than Brock Holt does. And probably at a more cost-effective salary. I don't know. I just, I found it interesting that they were linked to Brock Holt. There were some people that were super excited about it. And I'm like, I think you're just starving for rumors at this point. And we've been spoiled. But the nice thing is, C. Trent confirmed in The Athletic in uh, his latest version of C-Notes, as he calls them. He was talking with Dick Williams on the Reds' caravan, and Dick Williams confirmed, he said, oh no, changes will happen between now and spring training. He does not believe that the team will go into spring training as is. Now, he did not say what that will be. He said whether it be free agent or trade, there are more acquisitions to come, which are, which, which are, which is exciting when you think about it, because most of the time, what you get is this sort of diffusion speak. They're, they're trying to diffuse any notion that the Reds are still out there trying to get something. No, Dick Williams is out ahead of this and saying, yes, we're still actively trying to bring people in. Now, he did not confirm as to who, what, where they're looking, who knows. The point is, they're still looking. He's still working. And he even said, basically, mark it down. There's going to be some more folks coming in. Now, if Brock Holt's the only one that's coming in, I've got questions to that because that doesn't really give us answers. But it's something. And that's your update for the rumors. Here in a moment, we're going to do episode or segment two. This is, it's not a whole episode, it's a segment. Segment two of Today in Red's Awesomeness with Cam Miller of Cam Miller Films. But before we do, if you have not already done so, go to visitarizona.com slash spring training to book your trip out to Goodyear, Arizona today. Here's the deal. In the Cactus League area, it's it's a 50-mile radius in which every team is located in. The Reds are in that 50-mile radius. You can see everyone in the Cactus League, and you don't have to drive very far. Also, plenty of stuff to do. In Arizona. And did I mention that it's warm? Oh yeah, it's warm. 
If you're like me and you live in the Cincinnati area, it's, it's not warm right now. In fact, winter has finally decided to show up. Arizona is going to be warm. Best way to get there is visit Arizona.com slash spring training. That's the home base for baseball fans. You can book your hotel, your flight, your tickets to the game. You can download itineraries. I mentioned that you could book excursions. I don't necessarily know that you can book an excursion, but you can download an itinerary as I was looking on the site the other day. But everything all in one place. Visit Arizona dot com slash spring training go there and book your trip today new game day shirt boom cash back food for the tailgate boom cash back even buying around can earn you cash back when you use your debit card and yes we said debit card with discover cashback debit everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases in sports it's hard to predict who's taking the win but you know what's guaranteed to win discover cashback debit did i mention there are no fees period this one is a real game changer check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit discover bank member fdic If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Reds is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Reds fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Reds fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On Reds podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses, so text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On Advertising success. Once again, text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. In a world where baseball is more than just a game. Where conies are the preferred mode of nourishment. There stands a team. And that team is so awesome, it requires two fans to encapsulate its awesomeness. It is time for today in Cincinnati Reds Awesomeness. All right, so for this next segment, if you guys have not already done so, check out the first segment where Cam Miller and I talk about the 1919 World Champion Reds. Today, we're going to get into 1940 and Bill McKechnie's 100-win Cincinnati Reds team. And, And first of all, obviously, the main question, 
when you look at Bill McKechnie, I, I, he's one of my favorite guys whenever I study like different, like go back, I study. It sounds like I'm a scholar or something. I'm not a scholar. I just love baseball. Um, <laughs> when, when I, when I read about baseball, I, I love Bill McKechnie. Uh, like what, what kind of stuff when you look back, what just stood out to you about him? Oh, I, I, I would consider Bill McKechnie to be probably the greatest manager the Reds have ever had. And that's saying something. We've had some great managers. But if you're talking about the best, if you had to say who was the best manager, and of course you're going to get a lot of sparky love because of the teams he had. But if you're talking about just X's and O's, getting the most out of his players, the guy was really a great manager and doesn't get the credit he deserves. Of course, as we move, this is the 80th year. So we're moving farther and farther away. So younger fans don't know about these teams. And I, and I wish that we would do a better job as baseball fans, as the Reds, as, as everybody, to push the history a little more. We have this important task of pushing history so it's not forgotten. And I think as we get further away from that, we're starting to see names like Bill McKechnie kind of get lost in the shuffle of, oh, he was a Reds manager, and you kind of just throw him in the pile like you used to your double baseball cards when you had four or five Will Clarks <laughs> in the upper deck set, and you threw them off the side because you had a million of them. That's the same way we're kind of doing with great managers and players in baseball. We kind of just forget about them and toss them off to the side, but he deserves a lot of credit. He took a team to the World Series back-to-back years, and you're talking about some great baseball was being played. 39, 40, 41, those, that's some, I mean, you talk about unbelievable talent in the game, top to bottom. I mean, it was unreal. And for him to take the Reds, who in the 30s were just awful. I mean, they had no direction. There was not a lot of talent. They had a few players. You had your Ernie Lombardi that was starting to come up. Um, your Billy Werber, they, they got uh, Myers, Ivo Goodman, just some good players, but he made them great players. And I think that he gets lost in the shuffle when you're talking about, you associate him, oh, he won the World Series. But it went in 39, too, and if they weren't facing DiMaggio and that squad, they would have won that series. They were really good then, too. And I think in 41, 42, they were great. Um, just a great, great X's and O's, a great strategist, a great uh great guy to have as a manager to lead your team, a leader. And, I, and again, he falls for me. If I'm saying who, it's a no-brainer. Who's the number one best manager the Reds have ever had? It's Bill. I mean, he was just a phenomenal, phenomenal person. He managed in Boston. He had some success in other places. Pretty decent player. But for whatever reason, the stars aligned when he joined the, the, the Cincinnati Reds, and he was able to take some good players and some, a few all-stars and make them great. And that's not an easy task. No, not at all. And and, and when it comes to the team that he had, just kind of, I mean, obviously you had the two 20-game winners back when, you know, being a 20-game winner meant a little bit more and actually was a thing. Right. Uh, you had Bucky Walters and Paul Derringer, just that two-headed monster at the top of the rotation. I know that we kind of talked about uh, pitching staffs and where uh, this uh, coming 2020 pitching staff falls in uh, – the rankings of it because 1919 was really good outside of Walters and Derringer who most 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 diehard Reds fans could tell you you know they've heard that name whether it be Derringer or Walters what else made this pitching staff so good or was it just they they just followed them so much I mean between those two guys they pitched over 
do my math. Yep. I've pitched over 500 innings. I mean, that's nuts. Right, right. It's it's really crazy. And to be honest with you, look at the other pitch starting pitchers for that team. Thompson, Moore, Turner, Beggs. I mean, who? Derringer and Walters <laughs> were so good that you could pitch them one, two, one, two, one, two. And that's pretty much how it worked out. The other guys, of course, had to pitch, but they were. Luckily, you knew if you going into a three-game series and you had Derringer and Walters, you were going to win two or three three games 90% of the time. I mean, it was just that's the way it was, which was great. It's so good to have that one-two punch. That's why I always say if you have two great pitchers, you don't need – of course, back then, now it's a lot different. But back then, if you had two solid pitchers to go into a three-game series or four-game series, you're going to want a pitcher like Derringer or Bucky Walters, two guys that were just unbelievable. I mean, what was it? Uh, I think he had – 114, 115 strikeouts, Derringer, and then Walter's ERA was like 2.46 or 8. I want to say 2.48. I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, I think it was 2.48 yeah. for the year, Bucky Walters. So just amazing, just amazing what they were able to do. One-two punch. And they were so good that they carried that pitching staff. It was just a, f- a phenomenal – I mean, I can't imagine following that team day-to-day in 1940. I just, it would be unbelievable to watch that in person at Crosley Field to see how that that would play out. I mean, you talk about some gems, two guys that are just outstanding. The other thing that jumps out on me just with the pitching is Derringer in 296 innings walked 48 guys. He did not throw balls. Amazing, just amazing. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's right, phenomenal. Right, he was around the strike zone. It was like, here, hit it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like, he wasn't playing games. I mean, he, he came at you. I mean, and, just the success he had. I mean, and it's another one of those things where he gets often, it gets overlooked. I mean, as we move, like I said, 80 years since that world championship team, you kind of, it gets lost with all of the other teams and great pitchers we've had to come. But I mean, again, no Cy Young award winner yet. So it's like, right. are we in the cusp of that? I don't know, but it's hard to top if you're talking about the best pitchers in Reds history. I mean, one and two for me might be Derringer and Walters. It's that's I mean that's a strong argument. I I'd have a hard time uh, poking holes in it mm. for sure. And then you jump over to the lineup. The lineup was right. pretty deep too. You had three guys that hit 300 or better. You had Lonnie Frey who didn't hit 300, but he had 80 walks and he only struck out 48 times. I mean, guys were just on base all the time, getting brought in, and of course. If, if not for a feller we're going to talk about in the next installment of Red's Awesomeness, we might have been talking about Erling Lombardi as the best Red's catcher. Oh, absolutely. What, what a lineup. I mean, that lineup, Lombardi, um, Lonnie, Myers, Kraft, um, Eddie Jost, McCormick, Werber, McCormick, Goodman. I mean, you talk about just top to bottom great players. There wasn't, there wasn't a good player on that team. Everybody in that starting lineup was great. And that's what made him. That's why, I mean... It takes a lot of luck, of course, to go to back-to-back World Series, but to win it against a formidable Tiger team, I mean, let's not forget, that team was pretty decent. I mean, they, they didn't just, you know, they didn't luck into that. They had a pretty good squad. But you're right, and when you mentioned Lombardi, I mean, just unbelievable. For, for his, think about how he was, I mean, his body type, the way, and being a catcher, which catching and hitting it there's a reason why you don't see a lot of great hitting catchers the toll you know it takes such a toll on your body to be back there behind the plate that's why you know having johnny bench 
is one of the best of all, if not the best of all time, of course. Right. To, to, to do it when he did it was tough, but imagine doing it back then when you're riding on a train for seven or eight hours, when you're sleeping on some terrible hotel beds. I mean, it wasn't like he was flying across country a lot, and it wasn't like he was getting first-class treatment a lot. I mean, you're talking about the conditions in some of these fields he played in. And, of course, back then, umpires were such somewhat different, so he had to frame pitch, pitches different than Johnny did. Just it was so much more difficult to be a great hitting catcher um, back in those days. So for him to do that, I mean, great defense, great, uh, excellent, above-average offense. It's just, we are so fortunate to have such great catchers. I mean, think about that. I mean, two of the best of all time played for the Cincinnati Reds. Absolutely. And, and just looking – Looking back on Lombardi, he was one of my favorite guys to look back on. And then also you got Frank McCormick, who had, you know, 127 RBIs, just phenomenal numbers all around. I mean, nobody else, nobody else really had to, but also nobody else had more than 74 RBIs of what Lombardi had. McCormick was the guy that if somebody was on base, they were not on base for very long. They were getting brought around. (laughs) Right. Right. Oh, no question. And then let's not forget. I mean, the pitching great, the offense great, but their defense they led the they led the league, if I'm not mistaken, in, in the fielding mark of not was it 981, nice. 991. I think it was 981. Um, where they, they you know they led the league in that. So that's that's pretty good. I mean, so their defense the, again, like 1919, didn't have a weakness. Of course, when you're when you win a World Series, it's you you have to you know not have a lot of weaknesses. Every team has a weakness. Every everybody's going to have weaknesses, but to to minimize them and to have the least is the winner. People want to talk about all the time. You got to be a great great team to win. It also takes you have to be able to know what your weaknesses are and kind of hide them. And I think that forty was an example of that because what was their weakest? If you had to say what's their weakest uh, point, the pitching because they only had two stars. Again, I argued that's all you really need. Um, well, back then it's all you really needed, but defense. Top to bottom, the best. I mean, the infield was just phenomenal. Outfield, phenomenal. Um, just all around, probably all around one of the best teams before before the Big Red Machine, of course. Um, but it was a, it was such a team, such a great team that um, I really feel that if it wasn't for some injuries and some of the things that happened probably off the, off the field for the for the Reds, they would have you know had a chance in forty one forty two to do a little better. But of course, again, I talked about at the top of this. There was just some. There was some great baseball being played. This was not, you know, there was no Miami Marlins. <laughs> you know, back then. <laughs> Nobody You're talking about some great, great, great baseball. Yeah, exactly. There's there, there just a lot of talent that was that era. Probably the, uh, probably the best talent that you're ever going to have um, in in an era was at that time. And for the Reds to go to the World Series twice, that's just amazing, amazing. And it turned the city upside down. They were crazy about the Red Legs in 1940. Well, that sounds like a perfect tease. We're going to end the segment today on the 1940 Reds. Make sure you check out the next segment of Reds Awesomeness. We're going to talk about I'm going to loop it together. We're not going to talk about them separately. We're going to loop together the Big Red Machine years of 75 and 76, the years that made what pretty much everybody perceives the Reds as today. Don't miss it. That's going to wrap it up for us here. Make sure, like I mentioned in the first, uh, at the beginning, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to right now. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and at Locked On Reds. Also, give Cam Miller a follow at Cam Miller Films on Twitter. He's a great follow. He, he posts different 
uh, stuff that he's working on as far as videos and also posts some awesome just old photos from around the city and different things like that. It's a great, great follow on Twitter. I enjoy interacting with him there. You know, there's there's plenty of people that are annoying followers or, you know, people you don't want to see their stuff on Twitter. Cam's not one of them. Cam's a really good follow. Definitely give him a shout out on there for being on the Lockdown Reds podcast. But that's going to do it for us today. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Jeff Carr, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Lockdown podcast ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.